0: Our scripture reading for today is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 1. So that's Psalms, chapter 1. I'll be reading the whole chapter. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction.
1: Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, Reg. Uh, Fred was keen to point out this morning that uh, since I left, my beard has grown whiter, and uh, I just attribute that to the warm sun that we experienced down in South Carolina. So uh, we did have a good holiday. Uh, I was amazed at how warm the Atlantic Ocean can be, and uh, we arrived safely home after about 3,600 kilometers of driving. So we're glad to be back, uh, somewhat rejuvenated, but as always, you wish your holidays were a little longer. Um, Let's pray, and then once again, we will uh, dive into the word again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this revelation that we can open in a public building and hear from you and praise you and exalt you by... And Lord, we pray that the spirit would attend powerfully this morning, this word, that we would be nurtured and enriched and perhaps challenged by what we hear this morning. Uh, If it's your pleasure, Lord, would you save someone here who is not yet part of your kingdom, part of your church? Uh, This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Be with us now. I pray that you would cause me to decrease as you increase through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, my thanks goes out to uh, both Ed and Jonathan for uh, handling pulpit duties while I was away. Uh, Truthfully, I have yet to hear any of the sermons that they preached, but that is on the books for this week. So thank you, gentlemen, uh, for blessing the congregation with your gifts over the past three weeks. Well, the Lord has led us for the next six sermons, including this one, to stay in the same book that Jonathan preached from last week, and that's the book of Psalms. So I hope you have a Bible open to the book of Psalms. And this morning, the focus is on Psalm 1. And if you are a person who's looking for God's prescription on how to be truly happy in your life. How to be truly blessed in your life. then we are glad you're here because Psalm 1 gives that very prescription. The psalm starts with an exclamation. Blessed is the man. Or we could say, truly happy is the person. Now note carefully here that the entire book of Psalms begins with this exclamation of blessedness. That's significant, I think, but we want to know what makes persons blessed in the estimation of God. What is it that makes a person truly happy from the Lord's perspective, from the Lord who made human beings, from his Perspective. And what we notice here is that the recommendation to true happiness or the recommendation to heavenly blessedness begins in the negative, doesn't it? It begins here with a negative description. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not, it's the negative, in the counsel of the wicked, nor, another negative, stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Just notice here, as the book of Psalms begins, that we have this threefold outline of what a life of blessedness does not look like. The truly happy person, the person that God blesses, does not walk, first of all, in the counsel of The wicked, that is, the person who will be truly happy and blessed does not have his or her manner of life, his or her lifestyle attached to and fueled by the advice or the counsel of godless people. If you want to be truly happy, truly blessed from heaven, believer... A general rule is not to follow and pay heed to the advice of people who hold a godless worldview and who don't believe in God or care about God. Secondly, our verse says that the blessed or truly happy person is one, notice, who does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, notice here a progression in the verse. Did you notice this? We've gone from the person walking to that same person now standing. He's been walking, but now he's stopped. Now he's lingering standing in the way of sinners. That is, now he's lingering, pondering, observing the manner of life of sinners, and he's considering whether he should adopt such a manner of life. Note that there seems to be a progression in the verse toward danger. It's one thing to pay heed to the advice and the counsel of godless people. It's a further step if you linger over their lifestyle and adopt their lifestyle. Well, third, says the verse, the blessed person does not sit. Again, notice the progression from walking along to standing there, lingering, now to sitting. I won't sit here, but you get the picture. The person who would be blessed does not sit in the seat of scoffers or in some versions you might have in the seat of mockers. That is, if you would be a person who is deeply, satisfyingly happy and blessed in this life, says God, here's the prescription, don't be a person who sits who resides with and takes deliberation with, scoffers. Don't sit with people who openly ridicule and mock righteous living. Don't sit with people who make fun of prayer, who make fun of praise and Christian testimony and worship, who blaspheme God. Really, this first verse is about the company we keep and the company we emulate. This is about the herd we travel with. Don't be a person who begins by taking advice from the godless herd and then comes to linger long with the godless herd's lifestyle and then comes to reside permanently with the godless herd. Be with the godless herd. Yes, For missional reasons, be with them. Just don't become like them. Amen? Be separate in your worldview. Separate in your attitude. Separate in your lifestyle and in your faith and in your desire to glorify the God who made you. Well, as we said, verse 1 of this psalm starts in the negative. It's interesting. Here's what you don't do. If you, would be, if you would live blessed and have a truly happy life. Verse 2 then branches forward into the positive. Listen carefully. The person who would be truly happy, do you want to be truly happy in this life? Many of us aren't. The person who would be truly blessed of God in this life is a person who delights, notice, he or she delights, takes pleasure in the law of Yahweh, delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he or she meditates day and night. Wow. This is somewhat amazing, I think, when we stop to ponder this. Note what God doesn't say in verse 2. He doesn't say that the delight of the truly happy human being is in big homes and nice cars and fat bank accounts nor does this verse present a path to human fulfillment and a path to human blessedness by telling us to go travel the world. doesn't say that. Or it doesn't say the truly blessed person would be the person who stays as physically healthy as possible. It doesn't say that the truly blessed, fulfilled, happy person is the person who finds a husband or a wife if we don't have one. It doesn't say any of that. What God says to you and to me here is that the truly blessed and truly happy human being is a person whose pleasure and whose constant meditation is in God's revealed word. Isn't this amazing? Now here's the thing about this. I've known many people in local churches over the years who would probably, I think, affirm, they would affirm that their life at least in general terms, jibes with verse 1. That is, for the most part, they've made sure that they don't walk or stand or sit in the way or in the path of the ungodly. They don't travel with that herd, and they don't take cues from that herd. They've got that nailed down. But when it comes to verse 2 and this idea of having a real pleasure And a true delight and joy in the revelation of Almighty God that he has given. Well, that's maybe a different story. They can't claim honestly that they have such a delight. Well, I'm here to tell you, standing behind this pulpit, I'm here to tell you this morning with Jesus Christ that you must be born again Show me the person whom God has enlivened and I'll show you a person who will delight in God's revelation. Amen? The person who is regenerated truly by the Spirit of God will necessarily take great pleasure in studying, mining, meditating on, ingesting, praying through the Word of God. The person whose life has been invaded by the Spirit of God is going to declare a heartfelt yes to verses like Psalm 19.10 and Psalm 119.103 which talk about God's words, listen, God's words being sweeter than honey. The person whom God has commandeered for His purposes is the person who will gravitate away from the wicked and scoffers and sinners of verse 1 and toward the delight that he or she finds in the counsel of God, in God's revealed Word. Oh, I hope you're with me this morning. I hope you resonate, born-again believers. God can do that even as I'm preaching. He can birth somebody by His Spirit. We pray this morning that that would be the case. Well, there are a couple of other things to camp on just for a moment before we leave verse two. Notice in verse two, and I hope you have your Bible in front of you. Notice the word law in verse two. The blessed person delights in God's law. Now that word law in the original Hebrew of the text is actually the word Torah. And in this place of the Psalms, most likely we are to understand the word as referring to the whole of God's revelation. That is, Torah here refers not just to the commandments and the specific laws that we have in the first five books of the Bible, but it also refers to the various stories and instructions and teachings that are found in the whole of God's revelation. We delight in the revelation that God has given in the Bible because it's there in the Bible that we learn wisdom for living. It's there in the Bible that we learn God's ways, God's purposes, and God's plan. And it's there in the Scriptures that we are all actually communing with God. Amen? Communing with Him through Scripture wielded by the Spirit, God does what? God shapes us and God prunes us. We all need pruning. And God teaches us and he touches us. So I don't know what you and I will have to do to simply expose ourselves to the Bible and lots of the Bible more and more. We all need to own the fact that we will be shaped by a story one way or another. Are you with me this morning? We will be shaped by a story one way or another. If it's not the true story of Scripture, it's going to be another story of some kind. Why not let the true story of Scripture shape us so that we become odd people for the glory of God who look different than the rest of the world, who, people who walk and stand and sit immersed in God and in the true story of God that he continues to unfold in our world. Well, another thing to pay attention to here in verse two is that word meditates. Set your eyes on that word. The blessed person is one who meditates on God's story and on the teaching of God day and night. Now, the original Hebrew verb here is a very interesting one. It literally carries the connotation of murmuring or muttering. Gerald Wilson tells us that in ancient times, the usual practice was not to read silently, but rather to read out loud in a low, almost imperceptible kind of a tone. So the idea here with this word meditate is to talk to yourself. Amen. To talk the word of God to yourself, to memorize the word of God, first of all, so that you can speak it out quietly during your day as you go about your business and also speak it out at night when you put your head down on your pillow. The idea here is to muse, to muse on the word of God in your waking and in your sleeping. This isn't about, well, my devotional time is from 8 o'clock to 8.30 a.m., and then I go on with the rest of my day. It's not that. This is about constant remembrance of the Word of God as you sit in traffic, as you eat lunch, as you interact with your coworkers, as you make supper, as you mow the lawn. Now, friends, we all know in our media-saturated culture that public opinion and trendy cultural fashions will surely become our meditation. The voices are loud, they are shrill, they have a way of infiltrating our consciousness. That's going to happen unless we become the kind of people who hide and bury scripture and lots of it in our brains and our hearts and make a habit of renewing ourselves in the word of God ceaselessly meditating on it day and night. I wonder this morning, are you going to take this psalm seriously with me? I hope that we all do. May we each become the truly happy, the truly blessed that the psalm is describing. I know I want that in my life. Let's go to verse 3. This guy... This blessed guy that the psalmist is describing. This one who delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted. Yes, that is the outcome of his way of life in the scriptures. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, of course, as my friend and mentor James Hamilton has pointed out, there is another part of the Bible where we have a guy and we have fruitful trees and we have streams and rivers. And that's Genesis 2 verses 8 through 10 where God set the guy Adam in Eden, and every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for fruit food was there, including the tree of life and the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And the scripture in that portion of scripture says, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and it became four rivers. And Eden, we know, was marked or characterized by what? By the presence of Almighty God with Adam and Eve. Here in Psalm 1-3, where we have this guy who's like a tree planted by rivers, it's like he lives again in Eden. Delighting in God and communing with God and experiencing God's presence because this guy is in the Word of God day and night. Now, isn't this the happy life that that you want? I know I do. I want to be, I want to live like I'm in Eden. I want to be like a tree that the Master Gardener has planted, has picked the spot and planted a tree whose roots Draw their enrichment and nourishment from the water that is the Bible. A tree that grows, a tree that bears fruit and prospers. And notice, whose leaf does not wither. Even if drought were to threaten. Even if suffering comes. Even if bad things happen, I want to be a tree that has stored up the word so that I have life and I have hope and sustenance, even when cancer is terminal, when loved ones die or a leg is amputated or whatever it might be. The great Victorian-era preacher, Charles Spurgeon, described the tree planted in verse 3 in the following terms. In a sermon, by the way, that it's marked up as particularly blessed of God for the saving of souls. Preached in, I think, 1859. Here's what Spurgeon says about the tree planted. He says, Come what may, the believer can say, if earth shall fail him, Then he will look to heaven. If man forsake him, then he looks to the divine man, Christ Jesus. If the world should shake, his inheritance is on high. If everything should pass away, he has a portion that can never be dissolved. He is planted not by brooks that may be dried up, far less in a desert which only has a scanty share, but by the rivers of water. I want to be that kind of person. I don't know about you. Well, as we go to verse 4, note now the stark contrast. The stark contrast with the tree that is rooted deep right beside the life-giving waters of the river. Notice the contrast now. Verse 4 says this. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. God says here that wicked people are like chaff. God is not very politically correct, is he? What is chaff? The picture that's given here in this verse was instantly recognizable in in its ancient agricultural context. In late summer, when grain was harvested, the grain was brought and it was laid down in a breezy location where there was a bit of wind blowing. And the farmer would take portions of it with his fork and throw it up into the air, into the breeze, and the heavier grain would fall back down onto the floor but the lighter husks that covered the grain would blow away. Those lighter husks were called the chaff. They were useless, and they were worthless parts that were driven away by the wind. So watch this, friends. We have dry, dead, useless, fruitless, worthless chaff, In verse 4, the wicked. But back one verse, in verse 3, we have a green, lush, watered, stable tree. And the tree is the person who is enlivened by God, who delights in and meditates on and acts on God's Word. Which one would you like to be? That's the question that God is volleying at us in this part of his Bible. Which person do you want to be? There are many human personalities in this world, amen? I mean, in a group of five or ten, you have like completely different personalities. Not everybody likes barbecue brisket like I do. (laughs) Many human personalities, but really there are only two ways. That all these personalities can take the way of blessedness, which is living immersed in God and immersed in God's word and the way of wickedness. Which is marked by scoffing at God and being intrinsically worthless in the eyes of God like chaff. God is asking us right now, which path will you take? Verse five. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Notice we've gone from one guy at the beginning of the psalm now to the congregation of the righteous. It's widened out here. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There is a final Divine judgment coming on humanity. Humanity past, humanity present, and probably humanity future, unless Jesus comes back right now. And if you reach that judgment uncovered by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you reach that judgment unrepentant, scoffing at God and scoffing at his children, living in the world as if God did not exist, you will not stand, according to this verse. That is, there will be no acquittal for you before the divine judge. And so the implied warning in verse 5 is very clear, and I hope we all really hear it. The warning from Scripture this morning here in this verse is, Turn now from your wicked ways. Repent, turn to God while there is yet time. That's the message coming out of verse 5. Jesus himself talked about his coming judgment over in Matthew 13. Listen to the way Jesus described the judgment. He said this, The Son of Man, that's him, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the only appropriate course for you to take is to do as Isaiah 55.7 says, beckons you to do. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Well, after that, let's go at last to verse six, our final verse this morning and the final verse of the psalm. Verse six says, "For the Lord knows, the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Notice again, the two ways that are presented in this last verse of the psalm, the, the two paths, two manners of living. There is the way of the righteous and there is the way of the wicked. Only two ways. Two paths for us to choose from in this life, no matter what our personality is, according to God, two paths for us to take. There's no middle ground. And the verse says that God, notice, knows, He knows the path of the righteous person. He knows the path of the person who trusts God, who depends on God, who delights in God. God. Often, carries with it a sense of relation. Self or herself will perish and be driven away. If tomorrow is in there, but then on Tuesday I die after I'm gone. But the wicked person, said Spurgeon, behind his keel will know him no more forever. The very way of the ungodly will perish. Psalms really should be taken together. Let me just show you one. We have that call there to delight in the Torah and the law of God and the teaching of God. That verse, Beck 12. In those verses, we have a clear call to reverence the Lord himself, to worship God, to obey his chosen servant king. So then Psalm 1, delight in God's word, Psalm 2, worship God with due reverence. That's the tone that is set for the rest of the book of Psalms. Delight in the revelation of God and worship God with due reverence. But I want to end this today by talking briefly about the Christian application of Psalm 1. In other words, how does this ancient Old Testament psalm relate to Christ and to his church? I wouldn't be preaching a Christian sermon unless we talked about Christ and exalted him. Well, as we read Psalm 1, we would do well to ask, as we read the Psalm, who ultimately is this guy here, this blessed guy that's talked about in Psalm 1, who delights in God's law, who meditates on it day and night, who doesn't stand or walk or sit in the way of the ungodly, Who is like a tree planted by rivers of water? Who is the psalm ultimately describing? And of course the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus, you see, is rooted eternally in the Father. Jesus said in John 4.34 that his food... We're getting hungry. Church is almost over. His food is to do what? To do the Father's will. Notice the sustenance there. His food is to do the Father's will. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1 who always delights in the Father God and in the Father's words. And Jesus delights to do what pleases the Father. John 8.29 In fact, Jesus sees his very life, his whole life, as the fulfillment of and the accomplishment of the Father's plan. Luke 22, verses 44 through 47. And although Jesus does, in fact, sit and eat with sinners, although he associates with scoffers and hangs out with the wicked, he does so missionally. He does so for the Father's redemptive purposes. Not for one second does Jesus hang around sinners to heed their counsel and to adopt their ways. He never does that. And so Jesus perfectly fulfills Psalm one He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of of scoffers. Jesus is the tree firmly rooted who delights in God, who bears fruit in season wherever he goes, who prospers for God in whatever he does. He fulfills Psalm 1 in a way that none of us can. Amen. Here's the good news the good news is that we, if we are believers who are in union, with the blessed man, Jesus Christ. We are like trees planted by a life-giving river. It's noteworthy, isn't it, that Jesus himself is called, notice this, the Word. He's called the Word in John 1.1 and in John 1.14. Jesus is the incarnate Word of the Father. And born-again believers delight in the Word. Our meditation is in Him. We delight in the source of living water, Jesus Christ, who gives water, according to John 4.14, He gives water that wells up into eternal life. In Jesus, as trees planted in Him, we bear much fruit, John 15, if we are in Him, abiding in Him. Without Him, without abiding in Him, we will not flower into the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit that we have in Galatians 5. So then I close with this question for you, friend. Which way are you following right now in your life? Check yourself right now. Are you one of the many whom Jesus himself describes in Matthew 7 who are on the easy, wide way that leads to destruction? Or have you entered through the narrow gate that leads to life by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and casting your whole personality, your whole self on Him and into His loving care? Let's continue this conversation. If you want to track me down later, I'd be happy to talk with you further and pray with you. For now, let's pray. Father, your goodness to us has been shown again today by this word, uh, the fact that you lay out very clearly in your Bible the two paths that human beings must be on, Lord God, I pray that if your spirit has been at work drawing someone here today that does not know you to you, even if they're a person who's been in church for their whole life but is not born again, I pray, Lord, that in your pleasure you would work so powerfully that you would save somebody today. This is our prayer in childlike, bold faith. And, Father, may we just rejoice as a church to see this work done. Walk with us in a rich way this week. Help us to apply what we've heard today through Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.